0: this is going to work but we're gonna try it anyways you guys are going to be my guinea pigs this morning so thanks for all consenting to do that for me Uh, earlier this morning I gave a few of you a number to remember if you wrote it down don't look at it yet but I'm gonna ask this question To some people I said you can write this number down but you need to remember this number and to other people the lucky ones I asked them if they could help me out and if they could remember a number but they're not allowed to write it down Does anyone remember, without saying it, the number, or without looking at it, the number that I told you to remember? Oh, this worked out a lot lot worse than I was hoping for. (laughs) Okay, well, it wasn't tried. Okay, anyways, for those who wrote down the number, did you remember it without looking at it? Most of them? I forget who I asked. Okay, we'll take that as a resounding yes for the sake of this introduction. Hopefully it works. But the number that i had right down was just a five digit number which is meaningless for most of you other than i asked you to remember that number for me and so it's an important number for me and you remembered it for me so thanks for doing that there have been studies that show that hearing something and having it go in one ear and out the other it's it's gone it's usually gone you might be able to remember it i was supposed to ask you before sunday school started but i just asked you before the service started But if you were to write something down, if you were to take notes as you were listening to something, there's a a much greater chance of you actually remembering what it was that I wrote down. And the reason being because it transfers. You hear the information, and it goes from one section of the brain to the other section of the brain to process it, and then through your nervous system to actually write it down. And so you remember it without even having to look at it most of the time. so consider this a public service announcement to all use you in school. Take notes in class and you'll learn a lot more. It's good for you. Uh, and write it down. Writing it down helps you retain information. Okay, I'll get off my hobby horse now, but writing things down is good for us, it's important. Not only because it helps you remember, even if you don't ever look back at it, but when you forget it, you have something to look back to. If I were to ask you what the number was for those who wrote it on their hand, I'm sure it's still there, unless your palms are really sweaty because I'm putting you on the spot. But that number is still there. You can find out which number it was that I said. You can double check that. And so it's important to have things written down so we can double check that message. There are certain things that are important to remember, like your social security number, the date of your birth, the date, the anniversary of your wedding passwords for all the things that are password protected these days your address and the list can go on and on and on but even more important than all of these things combined is remembering god's word and when we forget what god's word says or when we don't take the time to learn god's word we can find ourselves getting off into all kinds of crazy ideas that sound good that sound like they could be god's word and it sounds really wise something that god might say But in the end, it's not, and we're deceived. Things that sound good, like I've got a couple of suggestions, or some things that you probably heard before. God won't give you more than you can handle. I I wish that were true, then I could handle everything, and I wouldn't need anybody else or any help. But that's not true. That's not scriptural. Or God gained another angel when a loved one dies. That's not true either. Angels are separate creatures from humans. You don't change into an angel when you die, although it might be comforting for us to think. Or God wouldn't call me to do something that I don't want to do because God only wants you to do what you want to do, and that's it, right? We would love if that were true, but unfortunately, that's not the truth either. Or this one, God wouldn't demand something from me that I can't actually do, but God does. His law is perfect, and he demands that we keep his law perfectly and we can't do it. We tell ourselves all these things to try to comfort ourselves or maybe even a loving God wouldn't send anyone to hell. There are things like this that sound so good to us and that we want to believe but in the end they're wrong and they turn you away from the truth and they turn you away from the comfort that God desires to give to you. But praise be to God, his word has been written down for our instruction so that we can learn it and we can fact check all of these different statements with God's word. We need to get back to the word. That's the theme behind 2 Peter. As Peter writes this letter, he's writing to believers who are being stretched in their faith, who are being sitting under the teaching of false teachers and they're hearing conflicting messages And Peter writes in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, These false teachers will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And not only swift destruction upon themselves, but swift destruction upon everyone who follows these false teachers. Peter encourages his audience to go back to the word of God. And in our text this morning, he explains why i invite you again to open your Bibles with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, as I read verses 19 through 21. i invite you to stand if you're able. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Reading in Jesus' name. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. We thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for inspiring the people who wrote your word to write it down so that we would have it. And for all those who preserved your word and kept it for us, that we might know who you are, That you would reveal yourself to us through your word. Lord, this morning we do pray for all those who don't have your word in their own language, that they would have their word, your word in their language, that they might know about you and what you have done in order to save them. Open our hearts, our minds, and our ears this morning as we worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Peter begins this letter in chapter 1 by telling his readers that they already have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. I mean, they don't need anything. There isn't some secret knowledge that they still needed to learn or, or some extra biblical revelation that someone will dream up and say, well, God gave me a dream, so listen up to me. They had everything that they needed in God's word. And he encourages them. He encourages them to the precious and magnificent promises of God, and he tells them, reminds them again, to let the message of God's word change their lives and their actions. He encourages them to not be content to remain as is, but that they would continue to pursue excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. And that required work on their part. It required actually seeking out God's word and picking it up for themselves and, and learning it and reading it and going to places where they could hear God's word. And the same is true for us today. If we want to grow in these things, it does require work on our part. We might have to make sacrifices and getting up a little bit earlier, going to bed a little bit later. God doesn't tap you on the head and give you all the answers just like that, as handy as that would be. But instead, he has given you a mind. And instead, he's given you his word. And he's given you people to teach God's word to you as well. He's given you his word and he's given you today that you might grow in him and in your knowledge of Christ. And Peter then moves on to encouraging these believers that they already know the truth. There isn't something new that they need. They're not missing something. There isn't some fancy, shiny, new, exciting truth that they needed. And again, they had everything that they needed, yet they still needed the reminder that they already had everything. It's easy to take it for granted, isn't it? That as you hold in your laps the word of God to you, the word of God in its entirety, its complete, its complete revelation of God for your salvation, and it's been given to you. You don't need anything else. But oh, how we look to anything else. And seemingly everything else. To feelings, to ideas, dreams, best-selling books about religion, or exciting and entertaining preachers, you name it. We're, we're drawn to these things and we have a tendency to leave God's word in the dust. But God's word is written for our instruction. And he calls us to learn it and to study it. But The question comes, why study some old book when there's so many other things to read? And there's so many other things to learn, so many other things to study, so many other more exciting mediums to learn this truth or other truth. Peter writes in verse 16 that these apostles here who wrote the scriptures, who wrote the New Testament, weren't following some tall tales. They're not coming up with some of their own ideas when they made Christ known to others. Now, Peter writes that they were eyewitnesses that they saw Christ, they talked with Christ, they learned from Christ, they ate with him, traveled with him, prayed with him, and even were able to witness his transfiguration when his face shone like the sun and his garments were as white as light. And the voice of God comes from heaven saying, or came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Peter, James, and John witnessed this event and it was forever burned in their memory. This Jesus, this Christ, the Son of God made flesh, wasn't some tall tale that helped them sleep at night. He was and is the Son of God made flesh. He was and is their Redeemer and your Redeemer. They witnessed Christ fulfilling all the prophecy about him, and they witnessed Christ fulfilling all of the words in the Old Testament. That prophetic word, he writes in verse 19, is made more sure. That it's been validated, it's been tested, it's been fulfilled, it's been satisfied. And there are plenty of eyewitnesses to verify it. So why study God's word? Because it's true. Because it's tried and true. Because it's been tested. Because it's more sure than anything else you would ever study. Not only is this prophetic word more sure, but it's inspired inspired. Peter gets back to the basics of the Bible here, and he reminds his readers what the scriptures actually are. In verses 20 and 21, he says, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. The weight of that sentence is often lost when we speak, speed past it in search of more exciting te- texts in search of words, of of things, of calls to action that we can do, things that we can, verbs that we can fulfill. But this passage here is foundational to interpreting Scripture. The meaning of God's Word isn't up for debate. The meaning of God's Word isn't up for grabs. It's not a free-for-all. We don't get to pick and to choose what it is we like about God's Word and what we don't like. We don't get to pick and choose what's true and, and what's not true. We don't get to bend God's word to make it go down easier either when it calls us out for our own sin, but we submit ourselves to the truth of God's word because it's inspired. Prophecy is the same way. When the word prophecy is used here, we, we often think of prophecy as telling the events that are yet to come in the future, and that's part of it, but that's not the whole definition of prophecy. Prophecy, as it's used here in the text, is simply the revelation of God, speaking on behalf of God, proclaiming God's word. So not necessarily saying this is going to happen in the future, but this is what God has done. This is what God has said. That is prophecy. And none of that information comes because men gathered together one day and thought, you know, this would sound really good if we just put this together. It's not a matter of man's own interpretation. It's not up for grabs or debate. But verse 21 mentions it. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. I like how the People's Bible Commentary explains it. The sentence he he uses this. He says, God's breath, as though he were speaking out loud to us, comes from each page of sacred scripture. How often do we think of it like that? God is speaking to you through this Little old book that we often take for granted. But it's God's inspired truth. And that word spirit is the same word as breath. It's the same word for breath and spirit that was around at the beginning of creation. That same spirit and breath that brought all things into being through the word of God. When God spoke and everything was created. This is that same spirit. The same breath and spirit that calls us through the gospel. And enlightens us with his gifts and sanctifies and preserves us in the true faith. That same breath and spirit that creates faith in our own wicked, dead, unbelieving hearts as the word of God comes to us. The Bible is so complete that if God were to speak to you today, that he wouldn't need to say anything differently than what he has already said in his word. It's that complete. It's that inspired, it's that true, it's the very words of God. And there are plenty of people who will offer to you a new way to look at Scripture. Claiming to have a new word from from God, be warned of them. Be cautious, because there have been numerous false religions that have started that exact same way. Mixing a little bit of Scripture with something else, maybe some dream or some revelation that they had. And these new words or new revelations are often presented as an appendix to scripture or even placed alongside. They won't say they're more important than God's word. But over time, they ultimately become the final authority. And there are so many ways that this can be done. It can be done by tradition, even traditions that we have in the church. Rather than looking to what God's word says, tradition answers the questions that we ask by saying, how has man dealt with it? in the past. Or it could be culture. Rather than looking again at what God's word says, culture becomes the final authority. And if culture thinks that God's word is too old fashioned or too radical, then throw out God's word because culture is the be all and end all. Or it could be some secret code to filter all of scripture through. Some code through which you ignore all the passages that don't fit, quote unquote, the code. Or it could be current events that cause people to sell their homes and leave their jobs, to wait for Christ's return, only to be disappointed time and time again when the date that they set for the return of Christ comes and goes, and they are still here. All of these things have happened, and unfortunately, they continue to happen even today. And they all lead to the same tragic result, denying Christ and ignoring Christ. His inspired word. The word of God, on the other hand, is sure. More sure than any tradition. More sure than any revelation that any man might come up with on their own. The word of God does not fail. It will not fail. And it is complete. And it tells us of Christ and what he has done in order to redeem us. So pay attention to it. There is no prophecy that is up for our own interpretation. Its purpose has been clearly seen and told about in Scripture. The angel spoke to Adam and Eve of one who would come to crush the serpent's head. Studying Scripture, you know who that person is. It's Christ. The Lord spoke to Abram, informing him that even though he didn't have any kids, that there would be one coming from him who would be his heir. And that one of his descendants, through his descendant, all the families of the earth, would be blessed. That blessing is through faith in Jesus Christ. And when Abraham was called to sacrifice his son, he knew that the Lord would provide himself a lamb, a lamb that would be sacrificed in our place. And he has provided a lamb for you and for me. As the manna rained down from heaven in the wilderness, it pointed forward to the true bread from heaven, the living bread from heaven, the bread of life, Jesus says, is me. Joshua, as he conquered the enemies in the promised land, he rested, which itself was pointing forward to the one who would call all who are weary to come and find their rest in him. The kings of Israel were told to lead God's people to worship and, and to serve the Lord, and they were to do that faithfully. But as you study history, as you study the Old Testament, you realize king after king after king failed, and they were cut off, But there is a promise that one from David's line would sit on the throne forever. And so it could not be extinguished. And So Christ was born of Mary. And he went to Bethlehem to be registered, the city of David. Because Joseph, his earthly father, was a member of David's family. Christ is the fulfillment of that text. And we know these things by studying Scripture. All of these prophecy and prophecies and so many more are all fulfilled in Christ. They weren't written by men who had some special inkling or hope, but men who were moved by the Holy Spirit who spoke from God to tell us about Christ. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God to tell us God's law and God's will for us, and how we are to live our lives. And these things all matter because they deal with Christ. We can't keep God's law perfectly. We know that by our own experience, but we also know that from God's law, from the prophecy, the words that were written down from the mouth of God himself, that there is none who is good in his sight, that we are all sinners and we all fall short. But that same word of God declares to you that there is one who had kept God's law perfectly on your behalf and for you, that you might be saved, that you might be perfect. Christ has done this for you. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from the very words of God revealing to you His will for your life, and that His will for your life is first and foremost your salvation that you would be reconciled to God through the finished work of Christ. Men who were moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God to tell us the lives that we are called to live, that we are to live worthy of the calling that we've been given in Christ in a life of repentance and faith. These words have been written down for our own instruction. and These words have been written down not only for our own instruction, but for our salvation. These words are written for our knowledge and for our study to which Peter writes, you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. He likens the benefits of paying attention to the word as you would pay attention to light in the darkness. And if you've ever tried walking someplace in the pitch darkness, you understand how good it is to have a little bit of light and how you just wish for a little bit of light so you can see all the obstacles that are trying to trip you up and all the different things that you could stumble and fall over. You strain your eyes to see, peering into the darkness, watching where you step so you don't end in disaster. Likewise, paying attention to the word will keep you from falling into these same traps that the false teachers themselves were running headlong into, headlong into destruction and into ungodliness. Paying attention to the word is finding and trusting and those precious promises, those precious and magnificent promises that Peter mentions or references earlier. Promises of what Christ has done for you. Promises that Christ has freed you from the power of sin and death and calls you to life. You no longer have to go back to those lifestyles. The promise that he has transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And that he will guard and keep you. The promise that he disciplines those whom he loves And that our sin does, in fact, bring consequences. But also the promise that Christ has paid the penalty for your sin. That the Lamb of God has taken away the sin of the world, including yours. The promise that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. The promise that we have peace with God, having been justified by faith through Jesus Christ. These promises are written for our instruction. These promises are written for our guidance and for our bedrock, our foundation of life and salvation. These promises protect us from going headlong into error and headlong into heresy as well. We need to remind ourselves of these promises each and every day. and These promises that have been written haven't been written by men wanting to ease guilty consciences or just wanting you to feel better about yourself. But these promises were written by men, moved by the Holy Spirit, speaking from God. That these promises are God's word. And because they are God's word, they are true, and they are sure, and they are inspired. And we are to pay attention to it. So be on your guard, so that you are not carried away and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, again, we thank you and we praise you for your word and its truth. We thank you that you have given it to us for our instruction, that you, in it you reveal to us your plan of salvation, and that you call us to a life of faith and faithfulness to you. You call us to serve you as well and to love you. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to study your word, to make time for that, Lord, to see it as the important thing that it truly is, that it is your word to us, and it tells us about Christ and about our salvation. Help us, Lord, to test every truth claim up with your word to find out what's really true as well. We pray, Father, for those who don't know your truth, who don't know your word as well, that they would come to know you, that you would speak life into their hearts, and that you would bring the dead to life again in them. Create faith in their hearts that they too might be reconciled to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.